0: Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Should I vote for the Green Party or the Marijuana Party in the next federal election? Right. Throw your vote away.
1: Coming to you almost live from the floor of the House of Commons, you're listening to the unknown studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts.
0: Joining us in the studio tonight are two savvy political minds. We have the investigative editor of DaveBerta.ca, Mr. Dave pornway a past political hack uh, who goes by the name of Duncan Wojtasik, uh which rhymes with fantastic, that's how I know how to say it. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Thanks. We're going to talk, uh, I think, provincial politics, Canadian politics, and in particular, post-partisanism. Uh, And Scott was asking, and I was wondering as well at the beginning before we started recording, what the hell does that mean exactly?
2: Well, um, do you guys know what partisan is? Do you know we have Canadian and Alberta and provincially political parties, and uh, they're the primary vehicles of elections, governing, and and political action in our society. There's a group of people, and, and Dave and I think it's a growing group. Certainly, we were both in the past very active in our partisan lives and and on different parties but we've come to the conclusion that, that partisanship isn't exactly taking our society where it needs
1: to go i would agree with that i um i watch uh the news i work in the news and so i get to see a lot of uh, the political stuff going on in canada in the united states and it's more prevalent in the states actually where it's come to the point where the partisanship and the divide between the parties has become just completely unreasonable like there is just unreasonable vitriol and hatred going back and forth there nobody's listening to one another they're just attacking one another and I'm seeing that more and more in Canadian politics now as well and I'm troubled by it because I don't think that's as you say that that's necessarily helpful for society that that's going to move us forward in any way that's my statement
0: agreed um, I was actually thinking about this the other day so guys jump in if you agree or disagree I don't know if you read any political blogs aside from your own Dave I'm sure, I'm sure I, I
3: don't I only read mine <laughs> That's good that's good that way,
0: <laughs> I read you know. hundreds but go on anyways I, I I've subscribed to Warren Kinsella's blog not because mm-hmm. I happen to agree with him not because I agree with the liberal Party in any way but the the way that he goes about attacking the the current party in power is kind of to me totally pointless. I don't it doesn't resonate with me in any way. Okay, fine. I don't agree with conservative attack ads. I don't agree with liberal attack ads. I don't agree with NDP attack ads. But he, you know, he calls them names. He calls them the reformatories or the reformer conservatives or whatever. And it just for me, a normal voter who's I mean, I'm a little bit politically involved, but not in a huge way, that why even bring up that crap? Like talk about the issues. I think that's what people are starting to realize that it's more important to discuss things along not party lines the lines of the issues. And and it seems like mainstream political parties completely miss that point. They don't get what the average Canadian citizen gives a crap about.
2: Well, I think to a large extent, that's because the system rewards partisanship. Like, uh, If you want to get ahead and uh, you want to be elected, you got to be partisan. You got to win a nomination. And you do that best by slamming your opponent. You want to get ahead and become a cabinet minister, you slam your opponent. The system inherently rewards partisan behavior rather than governing well.
3: Yeah, and I I think when it, I mean, when it comes down to it, when you look at the, especially the federal politics in Canada, you look at the two major parties, the Conservative Party of Canada and the Liberal Party of Canada, they're, you know, Warren Kinsella would probably never agree with this because that's, you know, if you read his blog and you go to other conservative blogs and they probably would never agree with it. But I honestly think that 90% of the decisions that a Conservative government would make are probably close to the exact same decisions a Liberal government would make. So instead of uh you know actually talk, taking positions and talking about issues we're focused on this uh jersey wearing, Kool-Aid drinking, saber rattling that is really driving people away from partisan politics. And I think that's one I think that's one of the reasons why we have such low voter turnout in Canada. Yeah. I think there's it's helping further that disconnect that people have between Politics and democracy and governance and how they feel how they feel about how they're being governed and how they feel they can participate in it and I think that it's driving a lot of people away and I know myself as a, as someone who was very involved in partisan politics up until a couple of years ago
0: will you will you tell us in what in what capacity I, for I, our for our tens of listeners I,
3: absolutely <laughs> um, I used to work for the Alberta Liberal Party okay um, and I worked for the party and then I worked at the at the legislature and I just it left a bad taste in my mouth it's um, more specifically for me it was this idea that, especially the opposition parties in Alberta, they fall into this. It's my experience that they fall into this rut where it's just it's constantly criticizing the conservative government in Alberta, and they're they're not they're they're criticizing before they're offering alternatives, and yeah. it becomes this this trap where everything the conservatives do is wrong is bad. And mm. I just I didn't believe that, and I don't didn't believe that everything they did was wrong, and I didn't believe that they you know, the conservatives were bad guys. Like there's some. I like some conservative MLAs. I like some conservative ministers. I don't agree with that the conservative government in Alberta is um, the best for Alberta right now. I, don't, I think they're doing a really mediocre job, but I don't think they're the worst government we could have.
0: Hmm, interesting. I wouldn't have expected you to say that because you're a pinko Okami. I am a pink <laughs> I'm a reasonable, pragmatic pinko kami though. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a libertarian either.
1: Not really, no. <laughs> um, okay, so we've got dave's kind of uh, original political leaning here, I want to know uh from the other side here sure. what's
2: going on sure um, so
1: where where did you come from from politics
2: well i was a I was a progressive conservative in, in university, and uh campus clubs are, are are these i don't know like nurseries of political thought and and that's where you build future um, partisan workers and uh, I was very active at the University of calgary and um, after I graduated from university, I went to work for Minister of the provincial government, and I did that for two years, and I enjoyed it. Um, the work was relatively boring, but my boss was great, and I, I began being active in the, in this political party, both um, provincially and federally. Um, federally, at the time, it was also the Progressive Conservatives. They have since merged, and um, I mean, my 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 reasons for turning away aren't exactly the same as Dave's. Partly, it's because provincially, my party has been in power since since long before I was born. Um, in fact, my grandmother's only seen the change of government once her entire life here in Alberta. And she's how old now? Uh, 70 and a bit. Wow. So yeah. Like when you think about that, like in 1971, she witnessed the change of government. She was born just after the Socrates took power in 1935. It's, it's astonishing. But more importantly, I, I felt me as a political person in a party wasn't really affecting change. Um, Dave mentioned Kool-Aid. There's plenty of it drank, I believe, on both sides of the aisle. Um, it is a lot of self-congratulating and and hatred of the other side. But that has nothing to do with the problems facing our society. It has nothing to do with climate change. It has nothing to do with homelessness. If if someone came to me and said, I want to make change in my community, I don't think I would direct them to a partisan party and say, that's a place where you can get change done.
0: Yeah. So, um, because you mentioned there was, there were was some clear things that sort of drove you away from partisan politics and you said, Duncan, under the current mm. system, that there is, you know, there's no way that it's engaging Albertans or Canadians. What it, what are the things that need to change for politics to become attractive to the average citizen again?
2: Well, I don't think it's that politics are unattractive. I think people in Alberta and in Canada are very engaged. They're just not doing it through partisan parties. I look at the four of us. We're relatively in the same generation. And I look at where we're choosing to engage our community We're increasingly rejecting partisan politics. So I I don't think it's part. I don't feel that partisan politics are the answer. I don't think the question is, how do we make young people or middle aged people engaged in in partisan politics? I just don't think partisan
0: politics are the answer. Do you know what the answer is? I was hoping that would be the resolution (laughs) for today's
1: show. Well, then don't say it now, because that's going to that's going to put an end to the show way early. Wait
0: 40 minutes and then we'll be ready to have. We need some
1: filler is what we need. All right, so uh, let's move on to some filler then in that case. Um, All right, I was actually uh, listening to a radio show. I I often listen to the radio station that I work at. I shan't name names. And I was listening to a financial radio show um, just the other day. And the financial uh, analyst on the show was talking about how there's not, financially, like fiscally speaking, there's not much difference between uh, the Liberals or the Conservatives federally, just to move on to federally, and uh, that really it's it's two parties that have the same agenda but are relatively just wearing two different colors and just yelling at each other. And that uh, it, it's, it's primarily to do with reliance on the state and uh, making Canadians need to rely on the government to do stuff for them. Don't rely on yourself, rely on us because we're your government in power. And that kind of resonated with me and i thought that was uh that there was there was a little bit of truth to that and i just want to know where two people who are far more plugged into politics than than i currently am uh would kind of sit on that do you agree with that do you disagree with that what's what's kind of your two cents on that do you think that political parties in canada are all really kind of pushing towards the same agenda at the moment or do you think that there is a lot of difference there well i think with the
3: the when you talk about reliance on government we talk about how government is viewed and this might not exactly answer your question but I think it raises a really interesting point about how uh, even in the past 50 years people view government uh, and like I mentioned earlier the disconnect between society and government and people don't necessarily view government as part of the community I mean it when it comes down to it what is government supposed to be like the origins of government it's supposed to be how do we as in as community-wide how can we Build our roads, you know. Clean our water, uh, police ourselves, you know, and the laws of the community. Now, I don't, I don't think that people view government like that anymore. I think that it's this disconnect, where government is viewed as what the politi, you know, the 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 politicians run government. It's a bureaucracy. It's you know, and we've been stuck. I mean, I think. Uh, if, I mean, I, I I was I'm young enough that I don't necessarily remember. Uh, I don't remember, uh, you know, the Reagan years in the United States, but from what you know history lessons what I've learned um, I mean there was a lot of rhetoric you know anti-government rhetoric and I think that it shaped the way we view the way we view government nowadays and a lot of I think whereas a lot of people um previously viewed that you know government had a strong positive role to play in society I don't necessarily think I think it's been watered down to the point where people don't really know what to think of government and it's this kind of little bit of a negative view. And I think I think a lot of politicians have played on that and it's it's diluted the importance of, of community and government. It it's about governance really. So, because I think there's a clear difference between politics and governance. Yeah. And too often when we talk about government, we're really talking about politics. And I think that's when we talk about partisanship. When you talk about, you know, the the blue wearing the blue jersey or wearing the red jersey or the orange jersey or the green jersey, you're not talking about governance, you're talking about politics. And I think a lot of people are alienated from that. And I know I'm 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 alienated from that. And I just I think there's I need there needs to be a focus on governance rather than politics.
0: I uh you're right about the disconnect and, and now it seems like politicians uh they they want to get elected to power, they wanna maintain their mandate for four years. They they do it along party lines. And but the object for so many, you know, average or subpar politicians is to get reelected. It's not about building, um, leaving the community, leaving the country, the province, the city, whatever, better than the way you found it. Um, and I find that really off-putting. Like, now it's about, it's about you know, keeping that job so you can earn that salary. And, and for the longest time, this country hasn't had, uh, and forgive the, the gender bias in the title, but a statesman. There are no statesman politicians anymore. We get to watch them on TV shows like the West Wing and stuff like that, right? We, I mean... Stephen Harper is not going to be remembered in the annals of history as making as doing groundbreaking community building you know developing the citizenry of Canada it's it's he's going to be remembered by the left as a douchebag and by the right as a hero Uh, uh, yeah
3: and I I think you just to touch on a point that you raised you mentioned the word power and I think that's a that is something that there's a difference between power and governance and you talk about states statesmen and recently I was at a Uh, book launch. Um, Rich Vavone, who's a former, uh, he published, used to publish a newsletter called Insight into Government. Mm -hmm. Um, He launched his book, a book on the Klein era, uh, Ralph Ralph Klein, who was Premier of Alberta from 1992 to 2006. And at the book launch, um, there were a lot of former ministers uh, and former politicians and insiders going back, way back to the Lockheed era when Peter Lougheed was Premier of Alberta. And in the question and answer and discussion period after, uh, Rich talked about his book he mentioned, or David Carter, who used to be the um, speaker of the legislature uh, during, I think he was a speaker during Don Getty's time. And I, I'm pretty sure yes. he was not an was a MLA during Lougheed's time. And yes. he brought up that point about power. And he said he remembers specifically that when he was a minister in, or when he was in um, Peter Lougheed's caucus, when Peter Lougheed was the premier in the 70s and 80s, um, there was a meeting uh, of MLAs or ministers. And uh, one of them while talking brought up basically brought up, said the word power in in the same way that the, that you'd think politicians talk about it today and peter lawheed actually stopped the meeting and said and duncan can correct me if i'm wrong cuz i think duncan was there as well was there, when, yeah. when david carter was talking about this but he lawheed stopped the meeting and and basically corrected the mla and said we don't use that word that's we're not here for power like this is governance and we don't use that word and carter's point was that since the Klein era, since Klein became premier, um, that word power was very much introduced into the, le- the lexicon of our politicians. You, you heard a lot more politicians, um, you know, the Steve West types, the Stockwell Day types talking about power and use, actually using the word power. And it was a real shift in the way uh, people viewed politicians and how politicians viewed their role in Alberta politics. Was that a
0: deliberate choice to start using that word? Like it's a, it's a, it is a powerful word. It's a, it, it could be used to display Power. You know, we're the party in power. Yeah. We have the power to change laws. It's kind of ominous. I think it was. And
2: I, I think it continues to be today. And I think it's all with the objective of, of not governing better. Uh, throwing around the word power or asserting power doesn't necessarily mean that that you pave the roads better or the trains run on time. But it does help you in the goal of destroying the opposition, which increasingly if not outright, I think is the goal of every political party in, in this country, is destroying their enemy. And, uh, and and that, more than anything else, is what led me away from partisan politics. Um, Scott mentioned liberals and conservatives. It looks like their agendas are almost identical, especially on, on fiscally. Uh, it's, it's tried to say that the economy is too important to be left to the politicians. So what do the politicians do with their power? Well, they use it to try and destroy their enemy. And their enemy isn't poverty or or climate change, their enemy is is across the floor. I mean, I think for a lot of Canadians, witnessing what happened in Canada a year ago, the time when um, Stéphane Dion tried to lead a coalition, and Stephen Harper used every trick in his book to stop it, Canadians saw all of their politicians acting to achieve
1: power, nothing more. Which is... Okay, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction here. Um, I'm under the impression that legally, within our country you can create a coalition government and you can topple a minority government with your coalition. In fact, there are governments in Europe that can't exist unless they are coalitions because you would not be able to get the votes necessary to do anything. Mm -hmm. And I was actually outraged, outraged, when they started calling it like a coup d'etat. Like it was like some banana republic, third world country thing that these... these power mongers were just coming in and trying to topple the legitimate government we need to take this to a vote and it's like no we voted for these people they're consolidating their their voter base as one group to take you who don't represent the majority and throw you out on your ear because you're a complete douche i noticed you didn't use the word power there there you go (laughs) and and it i was i was legitimately outraged and i was i was angry that in the end Uh, The Harper Tories got their way and that they won and everything came up smelling Harper because he really you said it exactly right. He used every trick in the book. He really did manipulate uh, the Canadian the Canadian people to get his way. And I thought that was just uh, I thought that was one of the lowest points I can remember in Canadian politics in my lifetime. And I was I was I was sad. I was sad to be a Canadian citizen that day. I thought the whole thing was a bit of a farce. I mean.
0: It, you're right. It's not a coup d'etat. It's it's the method for uh, switching governments, which is another way of not using that word, power, that's legitimate but not very often used. I mean, the reason it was called a coup d'etat was because, like you said, the the conservatives were doing everything, using every weapon in their arsenal to make sure that it wouldn't happen, proroguing parliament.
1: I mean, who does that? Well, clearly the Harper conservatives do that. <laughs> so you can
0: tell that Scott is not a left or a right-leaning type of person. But... Um,
1: you're now right. you're putting words in my
0: mouth. In a, well, <laughs> I'm just interpreting what you just said. I apologize. that I know you vote for Stephen Harper every time.
1: That's not true either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being a jerk. Um, but to your point, uh, you're right. It's it's an absolute power grab. Now, I asked what it would take for that to change. Is this going to be... Is there going to be a point at which there are so few people voting that the people who are elected... Decide to finally change things, to or or is it just enough for them to be elected by you know twenty percent of the population to go about their their business?
1: I'm not even going to let them answer. I'm going to cut in with my answer. I honestly think that the politicians we have nowadays would be okay if three people came out and voted in a Canadian election, if it meant that they won. Probably. I'm
0: that not even right. li-
1: I'm not lying at all. If it means that they win, they don't care if ten percent of the population comes out and votes. What was the voter
0: turnout of the last provincial election?
1: Uh. Turnout, officially it was around 41%,
3: but the chief electoral officer came out after about four months after the election and said because only about 90% of Albertans were on the voters list, the voter turnout was really around 37
0: or 38%. And is that among the lowest uh, in history? I think it it, is. It's the
2: lowest in in Alberta's history, and it's low amongst industrialized countries. That being said, let's not paint Alberta as this unbelievably special case, whereas other democracies are facing huge voter turnout it's a it's an endemic problem everywhere except places where they force their citizens to vote
0: so what do you think of that i know i think australia is actually one of the countries that will fine you if you don't vote that's right so is that is that part of a solution to engage people i i i think
3: the the issue i think the problem is is people don't see value in voting and participating in that way and i don't think you can force people to see value i think you have to i i
2: uh i think you have to you have to inspire. Inspire. That's what inspire is for. a good word. Yeah. yeah. You have to inspire. You have to make people believe. You have to. The way you described at the beginning, the way you watch The West Wing, is the way all Canadians should feel about their political process. They should feel that it's legitimate. They should feel that it's meaningful. Is a good word too. Better than all of us being alone in our in our in our homes with guns and anarchy, <laughs> right? Um, the power of government. I I'm not afraid to use the word. The power of government is supposed to be something that's good. It can be dangerous. Um, but it's supposed to be good.
0: Are we moving into a time where it is dangerous? Yes. Explain. Um, (laughs) (laughs)
2: It is dangerous. People are becoming increasingly disaffected of the government are beginning to perceive that the government has no impact in their lives, but that doesn't make the government not powerful. The government, I mean... To harken back to my first class of political science, the government has a monopoly on the use of violence. It's an incredibly powerful actor in our society. And for people to pretend that it has no power or influence in their lives, to some degree they're deluding themselves. And I think governments increase it. Well, politicians are increasingly fine with this distance. But, I mean, the Roman Republic fell and became a, do- a dictatorship. There's no reason to suggest that this isn't the first chapter of, of that in Western democracies.
0: That's some scary stuff. I don't mean I'm, well, yeah, that, I, I know I, I know it is but it it absolutely yeah. totally
3: is I think we forget how young our democracy is mm-hmm. um, I mean Canada's only been a country for 130 some 130 yeah. years and 130 some years and our, the diversion of democracy we have now is not that old mm-hmm. um, I mean we talk about you know our countries and our, our elections as if it's been
0: happening for a thousand years but well democracy has not in this country yet. but not our and form of democracy absolutely not Now, we've talked a lot about um, parties. Uh, I know that, Dave, you've you've had some interest in the past in election boundaries, particularly in the province, and the city. Um, What are the the mechanisms of our democracy that should that, in your opinion, should change that will help improve the situation? Things like boundaries. I know a lot of people talk about proportional representation. Are these the things that are going to work for Alberta, for Canada? Well, I,
3: do, I don't think simply... A lot of people talk about proportional representation and electoral reform as kind of the the magic formula for getting people to vote. And I think it gets goes back to the value um, thing that we were talking about before. Is I don't think that's the cure. I think there's some people who will, you know, it'll get their attention, they'll be excited. Um, but most, I think most of those people are, are already voting and most of them are political nerds mm-hmm. or political science nerds. I, I think the difficulty for, like, implementing electoral reform and I think it's something you saw in British Columbia last year and and, uh, four years ago and then Ontario recently is you're dealing with a when you're trying to pass a a referendum on electoral reform you're dealing with a population that is already very disconnected from from elections and the electoral process and you're also explaining something that is a obscure concept for a lot of people like talking about electoral reform, talking about well, single transferable vote. I that's mean, not the kind of thing that gets
0: people out to vote. Like uh, no. This election is based on the issue of, of uh, changing the ways in which votes are counted or doled out or whatever and I don't think that I, I don't think politics have to be sexy but if they do that is the least sexy thing to discuss to make people <laughs> become more engaged. For hacks like us, you know, it's a, it's a hilarious conversation you have over beers or podcasting. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, that's just that's not. I'm not suggesting it's there's a secret sauce to re-engaging people. Why'd you raise your eyebrows? such just secret that's sauce. Secret sauce. Um, but you had mentioned, Dave, uh, during one of our conversations, that you're taking more of an interest in the closer to home politics, the civic politics, because you know cities pass bylaws that tell you not to litter, and they they pave roads and or they don't, and and that's the kind of thing that that people seem to care about more now. They, like, they go to their local governments because the, they those things do immediately affect their lives in readily apparent ways. And um, I don't know what v- voter turnout was for the last civic election. I don't imagine it was terribly awesome. No. Um,
3: no. Then
1: usually civic elections are like in the 20s or 30%. Oh, it's pretty low.
0: That is just awful.
1: Which is sad because, as you say, uh, civic politics have a more immediate and direct effect on your life than federal politics. And do. in
0: this city anyway uh, and province, I believe we don't bring we typically don't bring partisan politics like parties into civic politics. I know that's in right. Vancouver you vote for parties. yep. And I think that's probably served us fairly well uh, compared to other municipalities. Um, the last election got me excited because a young person that I know and, and like ran. And I, I think that he Don Iveson, uh, Councillor of Ward five, for those of you who don't know, I think that uh, he's one of the younger politicians we've had at City Hall, and he maybe I don't know maybe Don's representative of a generation of disaffected, re-engaged voters. Is there hope when we're electing people like Ga- like Don, or is that just a flash in the pan? Sorry, Don. If uh, <laughs> 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 I don't I don't mean it that way, but I mean, is this the beginning of something cool?
2: Councillor Iveson is certainly not a flash in the pen, and I think he is part of the beginning of something cool. There's lots of other beginnings of something cool happening in this province. I'm hoping this country. I don't travel enough to know for sure. But, um, yeah, Don's a really good example of of where change is going to start and what it's going to look like.
0: Uh, He also strikes me, and I know that sometimes politicians have to play the game, the, Dave, you mentioned the difference between governance and politics. Sometimes a, dis- a decision is a political one. Sometimes it has to do with just doing what's best for citizens, and it's not political at all. But um, I, I found that Don and his fellow councillors, in fact, maybe it's because I'm paying attention more, but they seem to be unafraid to make decisions that are very unpopular and difficult. And the most, immediately, the most immediate example is the municipal airport issue. Um, they ele- they voted, council voted to close it over, a, a you know, extended period of time and redevelop those lands into multi-use whatever. Um, I want politicians that I'm not going to agree with, but I want politicians who are going to make decisions that will benefit mm. the many as opposed to the few or the one to quote Star Trek, <laughs> <laughs> which is what we do every podcast. <laughs> You just try to turn every podcast into a Star Trek So who's your favorite Star Trek character? No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Who would be the best Star Trek character to govern us is really the question. I think we're all wondering. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we all are. Duncan, you look like you're ready to answer. eh? That's also true. Jean-Luc Picard. Ah,
1: Not Khan.
0: That would be a dictator, I think. I I have to
1: agree with him. Picard's the the best diplomat, the best politician, the best statesman out of all of the captains. Yes.
0: And that is really what I think we need. States people, states women. I don't care who it is. So let's start talking about women in politics, and let's talk about it as it relates to politics in the province. Now, gender might not be an issue here. Oh, no, it is. Okay. It is, Wild The Wild Rose Alliance. They are the new extreme, and I don't mean for that to sound like scary, but they're more right of center than the conservatives. Yes? No? Depends, but it's fair to say Mm -hmm. broadly, yes. Yeah. Issues based? No, which is great, right? Mm-hmm. Because here's a political party that isn't we're right wing all the time for everything, mm-hmm. or extreme right wing. Anyway, so Daniel Smith is mm-hmm. uh, is in the running to be the leader of that party, and the other person is Mark Dryholm.
3: That's di- how you pronounce di- it, right? Uh, I think it's Dyerholm.
0: Yeah, obviously. It's D Y R. Okay, yeah. not D R Y. Um, I know that you've both been paying attention to this. Oh yes. Why is this exciting?
3: I think it's exciting because what I'm looking for in the next provincial election, what I'm looking for in Alberta politics is a game changer. Something that someone or some party that's going to take this kind of awful rut um, that we're in right now where the Liberals win, you know, 10 to 20 seats and only focus their resources on 30. The NDP win two or four seats and only focus their seats on four, focus their resources on four. Mm -hmm. And the Conservatives automatically without even being contested pick up 60 seats or, or 50 seats and then they destroy the Liberals and the NDP in, in half of the seats that they were focusing on. And what I'm looking for and what I think is e- exciting the potential um, specifically for someone like Daniel Smith and we can talk about I'm not we can talk about the specifics of the of the uh, our thoughts on the on the Wild Rose leadership race uh, in a minute, but I'm looking for a game changer and I think someone like Daniel Smith who, has been getting a lot of media attention. And because she's been getting a lot of media attention, it's difficult to separate that from whether she's actually selling, her campaign is actually selling the memberships needed to win uh, her leadership in her party. Um, But someone like I think someone like Danielle Smith could potentially be a game changer in that if she could lead a right of center party that could challenge the progressive conservatives in ridings where they haven't been challenged in in 40 years, um, and maybe pick up 10 or 15 seats or five seats, but just shift that environment so we can
0: It'll shake things up, and it could lead to something. If anything, it might uh, force the conservatives to to take stock of who they are and where they now fit into this new political landscape.
1: I've said uh, I've said before, and I'll I'll say it now for our tens of listeners: when a party is in power for as long as the conservatives have been in Alberta, and indeed for as long as the Liberals were in federal politics for the longest time. Um, there comes a point where they stop governing simply because they don't have to anymore. Because they're convinced that they're just always going to be there and they can do whatever they want. And it's a sort of political hubris in a way. And the Tories in Alberta have had it for years, uh, since Klein even. They've just, they've been untouchable and they know it. And that's why they just go out and do whatever they want. And they know that they don't have to be held accountable to it. And... As much as I'm leery of uh, another right-wing party coming in, I'm also not blind to the fact that they're the only people who really have the potential to challenge that hubris and to make the Tories wake up and realize, oh, oh crap, we have someone now who's actually a threat and is not just like the laughable liberals or the forgettable NDP.
0: I think it's the other way around. (sighs) (laughs)
1: I think it's the laughable NDP and the forgettable liberals Oh, fair enough I
0: I think that's important to point out though that the hubris
2: probably doesn't exist solely within the progressive conservative party it exists in the very comfortable seats in the opposition as well Mm -hmm. Um, it's so easy just simply to not throw out a vision and and just criticize the progressive conservatives and I think the liberals and the Democrats have have grown comfortable in that role here in Alberta as well so what is so big about Danielle Smith well she says when I'm premier I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I don't laugh. No, no offense to Kevin Taft. I think he's a great guy. I really do. But when he says, when I'm premier, I'm going to do X, I have to do my very best to bite my tongue and not laugh.
1: Because in reality, you know that he really doesn't have a that's chance. Right.
2: That's right. And, and his party isn't aiming to be the government. Like, that's the thing that bothers me the most about the New Democrats and the, and the liberals, is that's not their game plan. Their game plan isn't by 2012 will be outright competing for government
1: have you considered sponsoring or advertising on a local podcast well this is your opportunity the unknown studio is looking for advertisers if you're interested contact adam at the or scott at the unknown and this space could be filled with your ad now back to the show I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go crazy speculative here. I'm going to go science fiction speculative here. What if we in Canadian politics did away with the party system altogether? What if we said, no, politicians have to run by themselves on their own agenda, on their own platform, and you don't get a jersey to wear that's going to help you get votes? What if we did that? Would that be beneficial to politics, do you think? Or would that just be a disaster waiting to happen? i go I've stunned them because uh, no, they have no, never I'll even considered first. this before.
2: Uh, oh, of course I have. Um, there's a there's a libertarian in me that says you can't tell people not to congregate. You can't tell people they don't have the right to uh, assemble. Um, the same as there's nothing forbidding political parties from rising up in our municipal scheme either. It just uh, it just wouldn't work. So would I proudly think that it was a good thing if we, we did away with partisan parties, if they were no longer the norm? Probably. Probably I would. Do I see it happening? No, because the system encourages partisanship, the system rewards it. You don't become the the prime minister of Canada any longer or the premier of Alberta or a minister in their cabinet without being that kind of an attack dog.
1: Fair enough, fair enough.
0: And and, you know, whereas governments in Europe have sort of adjusted to minority government situations and coalition government situations, it's very clear over the last however many mandates. This minority government has been handed that they just can't get it together. They're not working with the opposition. See, a minority government, the way it exists now, in my opinion, is probably your best chance of things starting to work effectively. Like, this is the this is the way that you have to work together to get stuff done. Well, no one's doing that. It's 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 a constant power grab. Before Christmas, it was proroguing Parliament. Michael Ignatieff was talking about. Um, You know taking down the government this fall which was everyone I knew left leaning right leaning everyone was like this is a terrible mistake work together Canadians have asked you a number of times to sort this out we'll send you back in a minority government situation if you want to go to an election
1: again no it's uh, I agree the the Canadian voters the 30% of us who go out and actually vote in federal elections have made it pretty clear that no this is the government you're stuck with make it work and it's like no one is willing to do that. No one, and, and on any side, no one is willing to work with anybody else. They're, they've are they got their own little corner that they go and, you know, make fun of everyone else in, and nothing gets done, and that's not helping Canada. Get your sh- together! <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome.
0: Tirade. <laughs> what do you think would happen if we de- if we did away with the party system? Like, and, now, Scott, to your question, was it... Uh, is it? We, today we do we do away with political parties. Tomorrow we have an election, or is it people getting used to this this whole situation? Because oh, I'm
1: I, I'm not uh, I'm not saying that we should just uh, say no. There's no more political parties tomorrow. I'm saying if if this were to happen. But sure, if you want to go the extreme way, tomorrow there are no more political parties. <laughs> go, we're having an election. I just wanted to load the sure. question
0: a little bit. More.
3: Well, I I, I just want to put uh, touch on uh, Scott's point about. Looking at minority parliaments, uh, Canadians since 2004 have sent back for now three minority governments or three minority parliaments. And see, I just made the mistake uh, that I'm going to talk about in a sec. Um, I think and I think this goes this is a mistake that starts from election night uh, when CBC, CTV, Global, all the main networks who are covering elections, which, you know, election night you know, from their election night command center with Peter Mansbridge or Lloyd Robertson, they should uh, do those for the like battle inside bridge tanks. Yeah, the battle bridge <laughs> separate the salsa section.
0: The <laughs> citizens just float above the earth while they while the the battle bridge starts out the election. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, continue. I apologize. No, that was great. Um,
3: I think I think from the beginning. Um, I'm trying to think of my point now. <laughs> I think from the from the, from election night when you have. Uh, The network's all inching in to call, you know, basically call who's going to win, who's going to win. They want to declare it. And from the election night when we get a minority parliament, they declare it's a conservative minority government. It's a liberal minority government. When actually, no, it's a minority parliament and the conservatives have the most seats, or it's a minority parliament and the liberals have the most seats. But that does not that shouldn't necessarily equal, and it does in the terms of the parliamentary system, it does not necessarily equal a government. I mean we were talking about coalitions earlier uh, on election night last October uh, when the networks were calling it a you know a conservative minority government led by Stephen Harper, that's not necessarily accurate. I mean it could have been a, a you know a liberal NDP block minority government led by you know uh, Jack Layton or something. Oh, you know? Yeah, um, <laughs> we we, so, we we all shuddered.
0: So when these minority uh, minority parliaments are are elected are formed, it's then incumbent upon the leaders to collect the majority of seats and then go to the governor general and be like, hey, we, we're going to do this. is, well, is that-,
3: that that that's I think that's more accurate how it's sh- how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Not Um, by
0: default, the one with the most seats ever. No,
3: and I think because we were so used to having majority governments in Canada. I mean, the last time before 2004, the last minority parliament we had was in 1979 with Joe Clark. Mm -hmm. And then we had from 1979 all the way to 2004, we had progressive conservative and liberal majorities with Brian Mulroney, or Trudeau, Mulroney, and Chrétien. And I think 2004 rolled around and we weren't quite sure what, no one really thought about it because it hadn't happened a long time and it's it's not something that's that's at least in the past 50 years has been common in Canadian politics I mean I think before that we had minority parliaments in the 1960s with with uh, Diefenbaker and Lester Pearson um, and Trudeau in the 70s but uh, I think we need to take a different look at minority parliaments on election night and I think I have a big beef with with some of the news networks calling it a minority government because I think that's an inaccurate way of looking at it I think it's interfering with, with what happens in, in Parliament because we automatically assume that, you know, Stephen Harper or Paul Martin is going to become prime minister when that shouldn't be nece- necessarily be the case.
0: You're saying that Peter Mansbridge was wrong. I don't want to <laughs> uh, presume
3: the bridge, <laughs> the bridge. Uh, um, wrong on, on much, but I, I think the term is inaccurate.
0: Yeah, I know. And I, d- I mean, you someone, misleading. someone might say you're arguing semantics, but I think it's an important distinction because um, otherwise you're d- by default stuck with douchebags. Well, I think you you might be stuck with douchebags anyway. Yeah, this next election, it seems... It's a douchebag election. ...strong, but yeah. I know, I'm not looking forward to it. And that's one of the reasons why when
1: Ignatieff was like, we're going to do this, I was just like, really?
0: You think that's such a good idea?
1: It's uh, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money, and the result is going to be exactly what you're looking at right now. Yeah, I agree. Which is the conservatives holding a minority parliament with... Uh, a smattering of uh, NDP, Bloc, and and Liberals to uh, get all up in their faces.
0: I wonder what these kinds of discussions are like in Quebec. Because it seems to me, obviously from the outside looking in, that the Separatist movement is very, very secondary to the Bloc's agenda lately.
1: I've said for a while, and this is my observation, and, and I could be way, way out to lunch on this, and so I'm going to... Bring this up and then let the two actual political uh, post-pundits to, uh, <laughs> to give their two cents. But it seems to me that the bloc really has no intention of seeing Quebec separate from Canada because they realize what kind of a sweet deal they have here. Because we bend over backwards for them and they just keep taking and taking and taking. And uh, that's kind of that's what I see. And they just throw around the separation thing to get their way. I, I, don't, think,
2: I don't, Are you sure I you haven't voted for name. Stephen Harper? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh,
0: I don't necessarily disagree with you, um, but you've just alienated our one French-Canadian boy, <laughs> uh, listener. rather. So we have nines of listeners. <laughs> now we have now. nines <laughs> of listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, is that really part of the? Like, it's so not part of the mainstream Canadian political discourse. Do they still bandy that crap about? I think Hold so. on.
1: Hold on. I want to say this because I want to make this clear. I don't think all Quebecers think like that, but I think that their politicians think like that. Yeah, I know. Yes. And now, sorry, continue. No,
2: no. And I think that was clear. And I, I do think that the Bloc and the Parti Québécois, I think there is a good number of their politicians and especially of their their workers. And I, I can't overemphasize the importance of these workers to political parties and how they do what they do. I think some of those individuals are, are true believers in the in the sovereigntist cause. Yes, there are many politicians in the Parti Québecois and in the bloc who I don't know if they go so far as to say they recognize the sweet deal and hope it goes on forever, but I think they feel like they're they're doing what it is they're meant to be doing within this system. And they're not necessarily planning for 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 the post system. I mean that's 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 apparent by the number of times the the sovereignist movement has collected Individuals who used to be members of more mainstream normal federalist parties and also in the case of others who now they've ejected them and they've gone on to success in other mainstream political parties like a Sovereignist. There are Sovereignists who have left the liberals and the progressive conservatives and there are sovereigntists who have left the sovereignty movement and then moved on into the NDP or, or the liberals and done very well for themselves.
1: And when
3: you, I mean, you look at the, the origin of the... This is my little history lesson. Uh, you look at the origins of this uh, so- sovereignty, the political party side of the sovereignty movement in Quebec, and René Lévesque was a uh, liberal MNA before he mm-hmm. uh, formed the the Parti Québécois, and uh, Lucien Bouchard was a uh, progressive conservative MP, was in Brian Mulroney's cabinet, and I think he was former Canada's former ambassador to France, I believe. Yeah. And you, you do have these weird... Um, Jean LaPierre is one of the weird... Political phenomenons where he was a liberal MP. Then he helped found the Bloc Québécois, and then he left politics, I believe, to start a radio show. That's right. Um, (laughs) That doesn't mean we're going to turn into politicians, (laughs) does it? And then he came. He came back and ran as a a liberal, and then uh, left after an embarrassing two terms as a liberal MP. And
2: wow. I don't think he considers them embarrassing. but uh, The rest of Canada might. <laughs> yeah, we may well. Adam brings up a good point, though. What's, what are these conversations like in a place where it's, let's say, politically competitive? Like these conversations in Alberta, you largely do end up four or five people around a beer wondering what it would be like if their votes counted. And I've often wondered what that might be like, never having experienced it for myself. Um, and, and
3: you're speaking as a former conservative.
2: I am, I am speaking as a former conservative. Uh, I live in Alberta. Um, It's it's a reality that compared to Quebec, where all political parties, including the Democrats for the first time in over a generation, actively competed for the votes of of those Quebecers, what must it be like in those provinces? Sadly though, the statistics don't suggest that people treat their vote any different there. Voter turnout sucks in Quebec just like it does here. Yes, I think there must be a reason why people stayed home in Alberta last election is because it wasn't a very politically competitive election, despite what the Liberals tried to tell Albertans. But I have no real faith that voter turnout would massively improve if if all of a sudden it looked like the Stelmec regime was on its last legs and we might have a change of government. I don't want to say I hope I'm wrong, because I'm not praying for the end of the Stelmec government. I might be alone here at this table thinking that way. But I don't have any faith that that voter turnout is going to change just because all of a sudden it becomes competitive.
0: Is it the way that elections are conducted? Like, is this—so we're talking about a passive group of citizens— Sitting there, mouths half open, looking at the Internet or watching television. If an election was packaged like a reality TV show, where you could vote via text message for your, your favorite dancers, your favorite dancing pairs of minority coalition type governments, would voter turnout improve? Is it the mechanism of voting? Because you're saying that the, the turnout's similar across the, the, the country. So what the hell <laughs> how do we engage citizens?
2: Well, I think it's partly that the meaningfulness of the vote in the reality TV show, that the person casting the ballot via text at 99 cents a vote, they honestly believe their vote's going to count and it's going to be meaningful and that they're going to be a part of a group who makes the decision. I don't think Canadians feel that way in elections.
0: And I don't think that vi- a reality TV viewer should feel that way watching <laughs> reality TV, right? Because we're talking <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I mean it's two sides of seven different coins. So there goes my point out the window. (laughs) 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 Now I have to think of something else to talk about. Um, Let's go back to talking about the Wild Rose Alliance. Sure. Because I know know you're both engaged with what's happening there. What are your thoughts on the the two potential leaders? Mm -hmm. And I know what you hope will happen... Uh, with the Wild Rose Alliance. What do you think reason, r- reasonably will happen if the Wild Rose Alliance has a, a slate of, of uh, candidates in the next election, starting with you, Duncan?
2: Okay. Um, well, yeah, I am hoping for Danielle Smith. I think she's she's a, a smart and uh, politically savvy leader and the kind that we've been missing on the scene for quite a while. I honestly can't speculate on her chances. I mean, this is a party that until she came on the scene, I wouldn't have even in my wildest dreams thought I'd be voting for I was as shocked as many Albertans were at the uh, Calgary-Glenmore by-election. I had no idea that an urban riding that had been conservative for 40 years was going to elect, which maybe they're on the cusp of not being a fringe party, but on election day, they are a fringe party. Like They have no MLAs in the legislature, and they have run on an extreme right-wing agenda. I would never have guessed an urban riding was going to vote so overwhelmingly in favor of Paul Hinman and that the conservative candidate was gonna lose so badly
0: um, yeah ca- coming in third coming in third where the liberals came in second and which, she
2: wasn't a nobody either yeah. right she was an alderman in Calgary she well, a she conservative candidates. candidate yes yeah and uh, it's it's it was shocking to a lot of people and uh, so so I mean I know what my my former political party is hoping for they're definitely hoping that mark wins the other candidate who is much more extreme right much more in line with the, the wild rose candidates of the past Um, But you do bring up a good point, too, Adam, just because they elect Daniel Smith doesn't mean that they'll have a full slate of candidates or that that full slate of candidates is willing or able to govern. I mean, I think that's something that's plagued the liberals and the Democrats in the past. If you were going to pick 83 people to run this province, you probably wouldn't pick the liberal slate of candidates. It's just a it's a harsh reality. But in many places, I know plenty of individuals who are relatively progressive. Why did they vote conservative? Because it was the best name on the ballot. And there was no way to argue that.
0: So they're voting the individual to some extent, yeah. I
2: what? mean, it's not like the conservatives have put out unsuccessful leaders either. I mean, Ralph Klein held an, had enormous charisma and and you know, he wasn't I mean, there are many individuals who don't like what he did. But he certainly captured this way of someone who was like, I'm going to vote for the best candidate and the best leader. It's not shocking that lots of those individuals, especially in rural Alberta, made the conclusion that Ralph Klein and you know my former mayor or the former Reeve was better than what the Liberals or the Democrats have presented,
0: yeah, Dave, what do you think's gonna happen with the wild rose alliance
3: i well, I'm not sure what's gonna happen uh, i I'm not overly familiar with the internal politics of this um sometimes fringe party uh so I, I mean it really when it's it's a leadership race in an internal internal party leadership race it's really gonna come down to who sells the most memberships and who gets their memberships uh to vote Uh, I think they're having a telephone vote which I think most a lot of parties have done Uh, well I know unfortunately the Liberals had an unfortunate incident with uh, the telephone vote in uh, 1994 uh, which if you're interested in uh, reading about to your nines of listeners there's a good book by Keith Archer who's a former history and politics professor at the University of Calgary and he put an excellent book detailing shenanigans that went on the telephone shenanigans Yes the te- actually was the telephone scandal and it actually dogged the liberals in the ni- in t- from 1994 all the way into the 2007 election and
0: Wow I was totally not plugged into that Most no, Albertans were I I was 11 years old so yeah. I
3: really wasn't plugged in Thank God for that book <laughs> Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a good book I don't remember what it's called
0: It sounds like though it, it like just based on if you if you were going to measure votes for the Wild Rose Alliance leadership based on uh newspaper articles, TV um spots about her about her, it would be Danielle uh Smith. I was gonna say Danielle Steele. <laughs> <laughs> she she might get a lot of votes too. She, she probably would. My mom would vote for her for <laughs> sure. She loves her books. They're just so good.
2: But no, and one member one vote leadership races, it's it's not as clear cut as that. I mm-hmm. mean Ed Stelmack won. If you did it on the base of a number of uh Articles written by the leadership candidates in the Tory race in 2006. No one would have predicted Ed Stilmak No, it would have been Jim Dinning, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
3: So if, if Ed Stillmack can do it, anybody can yeah. do <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: thanks, Eddie. You've proven at least one thing. And, uh, well, you can go away now. Thanks for showing up. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for coming out. Um, thank you for asking my questions about the Wild Rose Alliance. I, I want to yeah. switch gears again because um, I, I do every conversation I have with anyone about politics now, because of the way the system works in the province and country. It's a lot of it is leadership based and and the the federal system in the United States is obviously very party based and very leader Mm -hmm. based and um, you know love him or hate him uh, Barack Obama made for you know his involvement in the last American election made for exciting politics exciting because he's a black man exciting because he is a smart. Articulate person, in my opinion. And and here in in Alberta, in particular, there seems to be even in Canada, an aversion to voting for the people who are smarter than us. Everyone wants to vote for the guy who seems like them. Do you know what I mean? Like the down-home country guy, Ralph Klein swears and throws money at homeless people drunkenly, right? And everyone's gonna always trot out that example. Yeah. Um, I don't disagree with you. I think Klein was a, ca- a very charismatic leader, and in terms of the things he did to further the cause of the conservatives in in Alberta, he, he was great for them. Um, but why are citizens, and it's not unique to Canada, why are we afraid to elect the book-smart people who could probably govern the hell out of us better?
2: Well, I think in the United States, you also saw someone who was, a de- well, cultured his appearance as being a down-home country boy, and he really did a terrible job for eight years, right? <laughs> yes. Like, I mean, com- when, you, when you watch Bush versus Gore in 2000, Bush was very happy to be the down-home country boy who didn't always spell correctly and, and was the guy who you would want to have a beer with. And, and he really did a bad job, in the opinion of most Americans, and in pretty much in every Canadian's mind, right? So if we have the down-home country boy screw us that badly, you might see Canadians willing to take a chance on the smart guy. That being said, I, I think Ignatieff and Harper are two incredibly intelligent people. They don't like trotting it out all the time, but Harper's an economist, taught at the U of C, And Ignatieff is, I mean, his academic credentials make me look like a moron. Michael Ignatieff is is someone whose books I read in university. So um, do Canadians have an aversion to it? We also elected Pierre Trudeau, who, I mean, if anybody came across as an arrogant guy who knew more than you did, Pierre Trudeau would fit that bill.
1: But Pierre Trudeau arguably was also a statesman. He could lead and he could inspire people. and, And I would argue was the last politician I can think of in, in like federal Canadian politics who was a statesman. And we haven't had one really since.
0: Well, and the, the the other defining quality of a statesman isn't just, you know, charisma and intelligence. It's being able to look the country in the eye and say, I made this decision that wasn't popular because it's going to benefit all of us. Like, that's that's the way I look at it. Um, but politicians are just afraid to behave that way. You know, they don't always trot it out. Well, why yeah. not? Why? I mean, I'm not suggesting that Ignatiev or Harper should be discuss- like having... Giving speeches with words that have four syllables in them, or anything like that. You still have to be able to communicate with your listeners. but but why is there uh, wh- why are the conservatives why does their message with voters resonate when they they talk about Ignatius as some professor? They did the same thing to Steffendi on. Yep. W- why? Why are people afraid of voting for smart people? But I, I, boring don't. people, yes. <laughs> I get that. I get that they're boring. So you need the charisma, yes, but wh- why? Why do they slam intelligence? Professors and
3: whatnot. Well, I think it's that's more individual politics. I think they'd slam the liberal party leader if it were someone who didn't have a Ph.D. and you know taught at Harvard. I, I don't think it resonates with people, and I think that you see that in the declining voter turnout, and also to recognize that the conservatives did not get a, a majority government in the last election. I think just as much as, you know especially specifically the last election. I think ju- and just as much as Canadians rejected Stéphane Dion's leadership and Stéphane Dion becoming Prime Minister, I think people rejected the idea of a Conservative majority. And they gave the Conservatives another minority situation, another minority parliament. So I, I don't think it's it's resonating in terms of getting uh, millions of Canadians to who didn't last time to get out and vote Conservative. I think it's driving a lot of people away and and increasing that cynicism and that disconnect.
2: All the same, though, you're going to probably see continuous, cautious campaigning and negative campaigning every time, as long as there's going to be an election every year, at least the threat of it, parties are going to go with what works. Yes, it alienates people, negative campaigning, but the alienation manifests itself in people not going to the polls, not voting against you. Um, So long as this works, parties are going to do it. And the media also has a lot to do with it. I mean, they brought up election night, but it doesn't start and end there. Calling Stephen Harper a liar and someone who's breaking the law with election ads, that gets you on the, a lead on the news. Talking about a vision for Canada In using four-syllable words, that doesn't get you the lead. Um, so I think it's gonna be like this for a long time. I do think that there's hope and I see it everywhere, but there's all sorts of forces working against the idea of finding states people. And we also have to ask ourselves, do states' people want to run? I think that's, um, you mentioned earlier about gender politics, and it goes beyond. I think the very best people in our society, they look at the political game and they see it as something they're going to pay, take a pass on.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I remember a quote from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that said that those who most desire to be elected into power are the least qualified to do it. Um, and that's probably almost always going to be the truth. <laughs> You'd almost want someone to go into a job like that grudgingly, knowing that it's going to be hard to do things to, you know, that'll benefit everybody, but they'll go in there and give it the old college try. Of course, that's just not the way it works. You can't just be like, you don't want to be a politician? Great, you've got the job. Like, it doesn't work that way, but... but uh, Maybe those, it worked
1: when we were declaring someone our king, Maybe but, uh, we those, don't really do that anymore.
0: Those desirous of power, uh, you know maybe i i sound like a cynic but they're the, they're the the person the people i least want to have it you know if it's power for power's sake
1: as opposed to it's wanting the power to do something good with it yes like uh, arguably that at least that's the platform barack obama ran on is he wanted the power so he could enact change so he could do something good with it
0: well and talk about the messaging of his campaign it wasn't it wasn't attack-based. It was, yes, we can. It was about reinvigorating American society. And there's no reason for us to do that in Alberta mm-hmm. because, you know, as far as the, the those who do vote are concerned, things are, are vigorous enough. <laughs> you know, So we'll just keep voting for the Conservatives.
1: On that note um, of, uh, of the negative and the tearing down and, and having a more positive note, we've spent the last little while now talking about all of the negative stuff, the stuff that we really don't like about politics in Canada. Let's change gears and... And on a, on a positive note, what is good about Canadian politics? What's promising about some of the changes that we're seeing happening? Where are things going from here? Because it can only go up, basically. So uh, I'm, I'm going to throw it to our post pundits once again. I see all sorts of people getting engaged in their community
2: and, and being politically active, even if they don't know that's what it is. I look at the two of you. You guys are creating a podcast and reaching out into your community, informing them. Being outside of mainstream media that's that's very encouraging to me. I see that as a pe- a beacon of hope. I, I look at other things too. Um, I don't know both of you are aware there was a a bill passed by the legislature in Alberta called bill forty four um, and it means you have to send a permission slip home to your to your parents if you're a teacher to your your students' parents um, if you're going to talk about anything that's religious about homosexuality or about human sexuality past but I also saw. Dozens, tens of people um, being active for the first time. And they were being active in ways that the politicians weren't expecting. They are being active using social media would be the obvious one, Twitter. Um, for those of your listeners who don't know what Twitter is, you should go back to episode one or two, was it, right? One, episode one, go listen to it, and then join up on Twitter. I saw another beacon of hope there, that dozens if not hundreds of Albertans were getting engaged in there and, and doing a political act, they were angry about this bill. They felt it was backwards because it was, and they wanted to change it. Now, ultimately, they were not successful. And, and Dave and I would probably be the first people to say that's kind of a false feeling of political efficacy. But it was encouraging to see some individuals who were not in the game, individuals who were not engaged in a political party, choosing to exercise their political muscle. It was very encouraging. I mean, it's been the political muscles in Alberta have atrophied to the point where. Most people don't even believe that they have that level of power, so that's another beacon of hope. I also see in Alberta and especially in calgary and Edmonton there's a there's a community of of individuals who are connecting um, and they're not partisan, but they want to change their community and they're they're willing to explore any way to do that, whether it's using open data to make sure that everybody can catch their bus on time or that garbage collection is done efficiently mm-hmm. or if it's making a conference like Change Camp, which is on October 17th. Um, if anybody has made it to this point in the podcast, they'd probably be interested in going to ChangeCamp.
3: ChangeCampEdmonton.ca
2: um, I'm very enthused by these ideas, and, and almost by and large, they're all nonpartisan. They all have nothing to do with winning elections or destroying the other political party. They're about making our, our community great,
0: and, uh, and they're all political. They're just not partisan. What about you, Dave? Beacons of hope? Uh, Aside from this fabulous podcast?
3: I, I don't think I could say it as well as Duncan just articulated it. But I, on, on Duncan's point, I think one of the problems is that when we're talking about apathy in community, apathy in and politics, and, and people not getting involved in elections, I think we're looking in the wrong places. I think there, as Duncan uh, described, there are a lot of people who are getting involved in a lot of different ways. And we shouldn't necessarily think it's a little naive of us to simply expect that especially for younger people and we're talking people 35 and under or 40 and under that it's a little naive for us to simply expect that they're gonna jump feet first and get involved uh, in the system that was set up by their grandparents and their parents and that's occupied currently and defined by the politics of their parents and their grandparents so I think when, if we look to other areas um, for example like all their pretty much everything Duncan said. It's non-traditional. It's something that someone who's 60 years old and been in politics for 30 years probably wouldn't know where to look for look for it probably probably isn't aware that that exists or that, that these discussions and involvement is happening there
0: and it's being done leveraging tools that didn't exist 10 years ago i think that's another huge distinction you know things mm-hmm. like twitter yeah. blogging it just brings people together and makes them makes it easier for them to organize on their terms yeah.
3: but it's it's not that no, I, don't, I don't think it's the social networks or the actual like uh, applications the apps that make it Make them uh, impressive. I think it's the value that people feel they're getting out of it, mm-hmm. and that's the key. It's, it's not just the internet; it's the value that people feel when they're contributing. To, um you know, the airport issue was mm-hmm. was a big one in Edmonton. I mean, we were talking about this closing or keeping open the city center airport for 20 years, and finally, city council had the the Kahunas to uh, to make make a decision on it. And I mean, the decision was kind of a little watered down mm-hmm. because it was to phase. Yeah, closed it or down over well, a phase that, that period of time that political. was undefined. That was political. Yes, but the point is, they actually said we're going to close it down, mm-hmm. but it, the timeline to be determined. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> but I think that the value that people um, felt they could get out of getting involved and it manifested itself through a social network and through on on online and people emailing their city councilors, people getting involved on Twitter, people getting involved in their blogs, mm-hmm. on setting up uh, websites uh on to uh promote the issue. Yeah. I think that's that's where people are getting in, a lot of people are getting involved now and it's not a traditional way of getting involved. So that's why I think it's lost on a lot of pundits and columnists uh and politicians
0: who it, it goes it goes under their radar. Yeah. So there is hope and it's it's but I mean unless it's a violent revolution it's going to probably be a gradual one.
1: And I hope it's not a violent revolution because Frankly, I uh, am a coward.
0: Whoever has the most (laughs) guns wins, Scott.
1: And I do not have any, so that just puts me on the losing end of that. On that note, uh, I believe you have a fast 16 for these two gentlemen. I do, and I happen to know you both listen to the
0: show. We do. So,
1: when, right? Right, guys? No, I do, absolutely. Every (laughs) single episode (laughs) I listen to.
2: But I've only listened to two episodes twice, so. Oh,
0: you've listened to episodes
2: twice.
1: Yeah. I'm curious, just which two episodes?
2: Uh, Brittany's and Iverson's. Oh, yes. Our first The, two. the boring ones. <laughs> yeah. The, anyways. The bug one, one was uh, awesome, though. By w- far my favorite. The oh. bug one? Yeah.
0: This is wicked. A man after my own heart. There you go. <laughs> Here we go. The Fast 16 with Dave Cornoyer and Duncan Vojtasik. Number one, Dave. Your favorite food? Uh, Maynard's Wine Gums. Ooh. Duncan, your favorite color? <laughs> Yellow. Dave, Mac, PC, or Linux? Definitely a Mac. Duncan, dogs or cats? Cats. Dave, your favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas. Duncan, your favorite sport? Hockey. Dave, your favorite pastime? Writing. Ooh, Duncan, your favorite music right now? All that's going through my mind is Disney. That's acceptable, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Uh, Dave, your your favorite movie? Uh, not, my, Disney. Not, not Disney. Not <laughs> Disney. Uh, my
3: favorite movie? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Nice. Yeah.
0: Uh, Duncan, a movie that you hate but everyone else seems to love? Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh really? I was not expecting that, uh, <laughs> Dave. the The one movie that you get made fun of for loving, I'm up at Christmas Carol. Really? I think it's that's
3: a bad one. I, some. It's some people make fun of it.
0: I will from okay. now on. Um, the, the,
3: the other one could be Get Shorty.
0: Okay, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally, Duncan, uh, this is it for the standard questions. Your proudest moment getting married the second time oh the first time just didn't work didn't work out, out no nope. now we're on to our wild card questions starting with dave if you were to run for a political party today which party would you run for and why <laughs> i i don't
3: think i'd run i could run for political party right now do i have to answer a political party yes uh provincial <laughs> or
0: federal uh provincial in alberta in alberta <laughs> i just wanted to make this question as hard as possible oh yeah um You don't even have to tell me why, just name the party.
3: (laughs) I'd I'd probably say the Green Party, but they're in the process of being deregistered, so they're not going to exist in a couple months.
0: And that's probably why you'd run for them, (laughs) because you don't really want to do that. Yeah. Duncan, uh, what is one of the key issues that, at any level of government, uh, people are absolutely failing to address? Poverty. Okay. Uh, And now, Dave, who is your favorite Muppet? We end with two easy ones. It has to be Gonzo. Okay. And Duncan, growing up, what was your favorite Saturday morning cartoon? He-Man. Nice! Nice.
1: Only three others share this secret. Our friends, the Sorceress, (laughs) at Arms, and Orko. That's a great note to end on. That is a great note to end on. Uh, Thank you guys both for coming out. Um, It's been fantastic, and I could carry on this conversation for another hour easily. And we can't because I really have somewhere else to be. (laughs) Thank you guys
0: very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us.
3: Thank you very much for having us on.
0: Uh, And who do we have next time? Next time we have our very special Halloween episode, and we're going to be talking about ghosts and haunted
1: houses and all kinds of fun stuff. In fact, I believe we might even be talking about haunted houses in Edmonton. So tens of listeners, sorry, nines of listeners, please tune in. Thanks again, guys, for coming out. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 9. Our guests, Dave Cornuier and Duncan Wojtaszek. Our topic, post-partisan politics. pre production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.
0: Duncan just called us a beacon of hope. That's
1: right. Uh-huh. Um, you owe me 10 bucks. You said he wouldn't say it. <laughs> Here's your $10, sir. <clears throat>